Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. Now, tonight's program, Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities looks at five companies that presented at our recent small and micro cap conference. These are interesting companies, and I wanted him to have a look at the charts to see whether the share price is potentially heading in the right direction. Then, Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital, who's also the fund manager of the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund, looks at a number of companies that he likes right now CSL. Ramsey, Amcor, and Woolies. And then Ying Yi and Cheng of Coolabar Capital predicts what happens to inflation and interest rates in 2022. And the team from M Squared Capital make their property price predictions. And you'll be really interested in some of the conclusions they come up with. That's the program. So let's kick off with Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. Well, last week we had our microcap conference and there were a number of uh, companies there where the, the charts looked pretty interesting. And so I've asked Michael Gable of Fairmont Equities to uh, run his professional eye over the charts to see what he thinks about these companies. Are they heading in the right direction or are there question marks about their, their future outlook according to what the market's thinking and what the charts show? Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Okay, so mate, the first one is PFG, that's Prime Financial. Yeah, to, to my unprofessional charting eyes, looks pretty good. Yeah, look, I mean, it, uh, you know, the first basic thing, I, you know, in my opinion, is to see if the stock's trending up or down. If it's trending down, there's no rush yet. If it's trending up, then, you know, at least it's heading in the right direction. And yeah, as we could see, this one's been trending, trending higher um, all year, actually, ever since those COVID lows. Um, it's it's been doing really well. So, it you know as we can expect, some of these smaller stocks, you know, liquidity can sometimes be a bit of an issue, and it and it can be harder to to get a feel for what the market's doing on the, the buying and the sell side. So, at the moment, all I could really see with this one is it is trending higher. Uh, I guess everyone could see that. There's nothing else I could see. You know, this is a daily chart. I, I was having a look at my weekly charts and. Um, and trying to look at some other indicators. I can't see any danger signs. At the moment, it just looks like this one wants to keep motoring high. Yeah. And I guess it ultimately will depend on the, the news flow out of the business. But for, for, for a small uh, small cap company, a micro cap company, it's good to see it heading in the right direction. Let's go to our next one now. Yeah, as we could see with this one, it had that, that very nice uptrend last year, early this year, and then it has uh, started to head south um, what I've noticed, though, is um, the first thing that caught my attention is the fact that the swings up and down in the share price have, have started to slow down. So I always like to, to see that. Um, so if we, if we have a look at sort of in the middle of the year, we could see very big movements you know, from sort of five and a half cents down to three and a half, back up to five, very volatile. But if we have a look at um, what it's done since, uh, say, October, um, we can see that uh, the range has tightened up a bit um, and it has started to level out. So although it it's still part of that downtrend, it's giving us signs that the downtrend is slowing down and it's one to therefore keep an eye on. So to me, it looks like there's three and a half cents will be a major level for it. So at the moment, I think it's just going to whip around here and and if it can push through three and a half cents, if it can close above three and a half, that would make me confident that the downtrend's over. 
um, and it's ready to to head higher again. So it looks like one to keep an eye on. Yeah. Okay. There's another another interesting business. It comes from New Zealand. It's called um, Volpara, uh, and what's interesting about these guys is that they have a pretty pretty good connection with, you know, the the US medical fraternity. Um, but you know, at this point in time, I guess the the share price is not kind of heading the right direction. But what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, you're correct. So it's so it's definitely heading the wrong way. It's it's still sliding. Um, and when I try to look at is it is it forming a bit of a base? Are the ranges tightening up? Um, I just don't see any of those early signs that um, that this downtrend is about to end. So I think this is one where um, you, you can keep an eye on it, and and the the chances are you'll probably get it um, cheaper than where it is now. We can see um, during the the hit last year it went as low as eighty cents. I think this one's probably going to gravitate towards that level before we see any any more buying come in so at a stock that's trading a bit over a dollar i think you can get it uh, even cheaper than where it is now yeah the interesting thing about this company is that it, it basically when for example mammograms might be done in the us in a, in a hospital the, it, the information is instantly sent to the, the software of this business and so the the operator can see whether they've actually done it properly and all that sort of stuff. But one of the points that were made was because of the disturbance to the hospital system because of the coronavirus, there's probably been a lot less uh, typical work. And so mm. it probably is a reopening a trade-type stock that once the world gets back to normal and, and people are able to go to hospitals and get the kind of treatments that they normally would without all the, 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 the business being taken up by coronavirus issues, um, it, that might be a time when this company might just turn around. So that's okay. an interesting, interesting story there. Let's go to the next one, TZL. I think this one's looking fairly positive. Um, what I've done with this chart, Peter, is I've included uh, the volume at the bottom, so daily traded volume. Um, and quite logically, if a stock's going up with a lot of volume, um, that's a positive sign. If it's going down on low volume, that's also a positive sign. And, and of course, the, the converse is true as well. So if a stock is, is moving higher on not much volume, it, it logically makes sense. There, there aren't that many participants and, um, and it's not very bullish. So what I find interesting with this one is, um, well, firstly, it had that big spike um, and then sell off in April. So I guess if we ignore that and just start to look towards the right-hand side of the chart, um, we can see that as it started to to head back towards its um, recent lows near 10 cents around August, September, we could see that the volume's really dried up. So, so that's that's showing us that, that there aren't many sellers participating. But as soon as it had a, a big jump up in October, huge spike in volume. So just, just massive amount of volume coming into, into the stock. And then most recently, even though it's eased back, we could see the volume start to trail, uh, trail out. So that's that's what you want to see. So to, in my opinion, it's showing all the correct signs of, of a stock that should just continue to, to trend higher from here. Um, if, if you're looking for an entry point, I mean, if I put my trader's hat on, I'd say, well, I'd be happy to buy it here. I'd have a stop loss of 10 cents if it falls under that. That's, that's a problem. But um, yeah, it looks, it looks like a positive chart to me. 
Yeah. And we should point out for people who are watching the charts and you're talking about volumes, those bar charts at the bottom actually show the volumes, don't they? That's that's right. So the, the bars are the amount, um, the amount of volume traded. So mm. the higher the bar, the more volume, and, and the smaller the bar, the less volume. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's go to the final one now. And this is one we've asked you to look at a number of times. Uh, but of course, the, these guys have actually come to a number of our small cap conferences, and that's Elmo. But what are you seeing there, mate, with it? So it, it's another stock that has been downtrending over the past year, year and a half, but it is showing early signs of, of levelling out. So the first thing I noticed was uh, the low in October, um, the big bounce off that level. Um, we could see that that low is higher than the low in June, and I've showed shown those two lows with arrows there. So that's the first indication that something might be happening. The next the next thing it needs to do is take out the previous uh, the previous high. So I've I've got I've indicated that with the horizontal blue line. Mm. Unfortunately, in the last several weeks, it's got close to that level and then sold off pretty quickly. So at the moment, it's rejecting that level, which is around 560. But so probably it's it's telling me it'll probably drift sideways for a few more months. But if it can put in some some further higher lows. Um, and continue to try to retest that 560, then then that means it'll be building up for um, for a bit of a move. So it's worth being patient. I mean, in some in some respects, this was this is similar to that uh, the Megaport chart that we looked at several months ago, where it was starting to break that downtrend, and then when it did, as we know, it's you know in the last six months the share price has done really well. So I think it's worth just being patient here. If we could see it break 560, there'll be good upside, but you know, my experience is you don't want to preempt these things because it could just as easily continue to slide down and, yeah. and be stuck at four dollars for a while. So yeah, yeah early early signs that um, that it wants to get going again. And I think the interesting thing would be, yeah, you know, if someone's at sixes or sevens about whether they hold on or they buy in. In February, the company will report, and that should probably make or break the direction of this of this share price. Um, and interestingly, I did talk to the CEO recently, uh, Danny Lesson, and, he, and uh, he, he made the, the point, you know, the, um, the corner of George and Bathurst Street where the old HSBC building, and before that was Coopers and Lybram many years ago. Do you know the building I'm talking about, Mike? Um, yeah, the, the light rail now rips through yeah. George Street, but yeah. I don't know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Elmo is actually in that building. And okay. they've now got the naming rights on the building, but it's not a, as Elmo Software. It says Breathe, and that's the business they bought from Britain to chase the SME uh, payroll and HR market. So clearly they believe very strongly that this is, this is going to be a very important part of the business going forward to, um, mm. to put it on the on the uh, the. the the side of the building. So it'd be very interesting to see whether it pays off. At this point in time, the CEO is very confident that's going to be a, a very good acquisition. We'll have to wait and see, I guess, over the course of 2022. But February, when they report, that should be interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, Mike, thanks very much for your contribution over the year. Have a great yeah. Christmas. And we look forward to seeing you uh, in January when we come back. Thank you. Look forward to it. 
Joining us now is Marcus Bogdan from Blackmore Capital. He's also the manager of the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. Mate, good to see you. Uh, terrific to be here. Why don't you tell us about the views on the current market valuations, how you're positioned for 2022? Well, I think that what we're going to see is an environment of higher volatility because we are going through this transition, this transition of, of liquidity, uh, which has been a real driver of markets in the last year or so. That's starting to step back. And obviously the announcement of the Federal Reserve overnight in terms of their tapering of bond purchases and also the potential for bringing forward uh, interest rate rises uh, will raise the bar in terms of volatility. Uh, there's no doubt that we're seeing far more entrenched inflation, particularly in the US, and we're seeing evidence of that in Australia. Uh, and the disruptions that's occurring in terms of supply chains. Uh, and then finally, uh, we know we're navigating our way through this new variant of Omicron and the challenges that, that that has. So they're the things to be, which will challenge the market. Uh, but uh, on the other side of it, which is more positive, is that we're still seeing more earnings upgrades than downgrades for the Australian market, which is important. Uh, and we're still on track to deliver earnings growth for the Australian market of 10 to 12 percent for 2022. And for what we're really um, uh, emphasising is also the income growth. Now, if we're going to get 10 to 12 percent earnings growth, that should translate into an uplift, an attractive uplift in dividend growth for our investors. It's a good, uh, good sign for the fund going forward, mate. Let's hope you're right. We've seen a lot of M&A activity, and recently we've seen CSL uh, acquiring a Swiss company called Vite for Pharma. So what, what do you think this, this does for CSL going forward? Well, CSL, are very, just to put it into a historical perspective, uh, CSL is not... Uh, a serial acquirer of companies. Uh, they do, over their history, have made some significant acquisitions. Uh, and historically, uh, those acquisitions have been incredibly beneficial to CSL shareholders. This is a new area for them. Uh, it's an area um, concentrated in therapies around renal care uh, and iron deficiencies. Uh, but that is an area of growth because uh, chronic kidney disease uh, is growing and it's a function of uh, its exposure to both di diabetes, obesity and blood pressure. So it is an area of, of growth, uh, and it, and it's, uh, but it's an adjacency that CSL has not moved into before. So there are risks because it's a new area for, for them. But their pedigree and their history of executions has been outstanding. And if we go back to 2016, which was their previous very large acquisition in the flu vaccination, vaccination business where they bought a business off Novartis, they bought that business, which was loss-making. It was losing around $200 million per annum. Today, that's uh, generating uh, earnings, very strong earnings, and operating margins of around 20%. 20%. Um, so I think 
we have to take some solace in the pedigree of, of CSL and hopefully that we'll see the, the benefits of this, of this uh, acquisition in the next two to three years. Okay, and Rams is also getting into the acquisition game. It is. They've moved into uh, an acquisition in the UK. Uh, it's moving into an adjacency area in, in mental health uh, care, uh, and they've um, acquired a number of facilities in the UK. Uh, it will be around 5% EPS accretive. But I think there's a, there's a sort of a, a wider thesis of why we are in, in Ramsey, and that is because of the significant backlog that we're seeing uh, in medical treatments, uh, both here in Australia and, uh, and in their major markets in um, both the UK and Europe. And just to remind our investors, Ramsey is the largest private hospital operator in Australia, and they're the second largest healthcare provider in Europe as well. So they're a significant global player, and it underlines by CSL and Ramsey that you know Australia punches well above its weight in terms of being uh, of having world class healthcare operators uh, on the Australian share market. Okay, let's move to another interesting one, um, which would definitely be in our fund, namely Woolworths. They downgraded their, their earnings for the year ahead. But what's your view on Woolworths? Because, you know, you, you hold it in the, the fund. So short term, uh, 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 highlights what we're, what we're seeing in the real economy. Um, there are real issues in supply chains, there's real issues in labour, and that is pushing up costs. Um, Woolworths are taking a short-term hit on their earnings, and so we have had a downgrade in their earnings uh, for FY22, but there's still momentum there on their sales line, and there's still very strong momentum there on online sales growth. So online for Woolworths is growing at 50% per annum. It represents around 11% of total sales now. We do think that Woolworths uh, strategically will be a much stronger company coming out of this. Uh, because of the investments that they've made online and in dig and digital and autom on automate automation. So a short-term hit uh, for, in, for their earnings uh, for the first half, but we expect that uh, Woolworths will recover uh, and will be and still remain a very important component of the portfolio. So I guess the final area I want to talk to you about and is something that you're totally ill-qualified to talk about, namely Omicron. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge to the Treasurer, it's a challenge to you, and we just don't know what it's going to do in terms of restrictions and lockdowns and things like that. I guess the, my, my view um, is that it probably will be highly transmissible, but hopefully won't lead to the same kind of restrictions and lockdowns we saw with Delta. Is that your view uh, at this point in time? And if you're wrong, would you have to change some of your, your optimistic outlooks for 2022? Well, it does highlight just the persistence of the pandemic. And I think we're going to be with, with this for the foreseeable future. Uh, and, and, and the early data does suggest uh, it, it is uh, highly virulent, but it is less severe. Uh, and then the most recent um, 
uh, recent data we're seeing on the booster will give you um, uh, some um, effectiveness in terms of protection. So all of that is 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 good. Um, and but it does point to to our portfolio positioning around really industry leaders, high quality defensive defensive growth um, is is absolutely a, a requirement in the portfolio. Uh, we do benefit we do benefit from our exposure to Helios, and we've recently increased our ex, ex, uh, exposure there. Second largest pathology company in Australia, so it's leading this PCR testing. PCR testing on the results I saw today is up over four hundred percent over the pre previous quarter, um, and it just emphasises defensive, good industrial companies and higher quality companies, and also with rising inflation, why it's important to have companies which have got pricing power in the portfolio as well. Yeah, no doubt. Mate, thanks for joining us. Have a great Christmas. Talk to you in the new year. Terrific. Thanks, Peter. Cheers. Joining us now is Ying Yi and Chen from Coolabar Capital. How are you, uh, Ying Yi? I'm good, thank you, Peter. Okay. The big number that a lot of people have been interested in was the inflation number in the US, 6.8%, biggest number since 1982. And I must admit, I was up early Saturday morning for the Switzer report, uh, and I saw the bond yields fall on a big number like that. Quite surprised me at first, but as I read into it, I can see some logic, but you should see more logic than me. Why did bond yields fall on a big inflation number? Um, I think overall, like, look, I, I think the markets sort of come around to to the view that, yeah, despite this high inflation number, that perhaps the, the Fed's terminal cash rate isn't going to be that high. So at the moment we have the bond market and also, you know, the, um, I suppose, yeah, the equity markets in that respect as well, looking at that sort of terminal cash rate being around that 1.4, 1.45%, which is where that US 10-year government bond yield is trading. So that US 10-year government bond yield um, represents the market's expectations for you know, cash rates in, in 10 years' time. And so if you're not expecting it to be that high, so, you know, circa just under 1.5%, then really, you know, is, should the market be? in that much of a panic um, and the market's obviously not that panicked because you know a hundred you know a hundred plus basis points from here isn't going to be too much versus say if you were if the fed was going to hike 200 or you know 250 yeah it, did the can i know within the information of the inflation data there was some what you might call high frequency data points suggesting that some of the supply problems might be starting to dissipate. Did, did, did that come out of the inflation number as well? And are people starting to um, maybe agree that with the central banks that inflation might be transitory? No, I, I mean, I, I don't believe that the Fed thinks that inflation is transitory anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a high degree of confidence um, around the Fed, you know, obviously, um, 
you know, cutting QE to zero um, and then eventually hiking rates next year, probably in the middle of next year. There's high degree of confidence around that. But I think where the market has found some sort of comfort is in how aggressively the Fed hikes, which I feel like there's a bit of, you know, cognitive dissonance um, in our opinion, but you, you can't fight the market. Yeah. But when you say you don't think it's transitory, are you saying that, they, they don't think it's transitory for maybe six months, but after six months, it might tail away. Are you, or are you saying that the central bank, US central bank Fed, is basically thinking, oh, inflation is going to remain 4 or 5% for a long time? Um, yeah, at least in the interim, because what we're starting to see and what central banks, you know, any central bank um, is most concerned about is inflation expectations. Because, and if you look at the University of Michigan um, over the last, you know, circa 10 years, inflation expectations have sort of ranged somewhere between 2 to 4%. And more recently, they've gone off the charts. So um, what happens is that, you know, if you and I, and I think we've spoken about this before, if you and I are expecting, you know, higher inflation, we're expecting to pay higher prices for all of our, you know, inputs as such, we're, we're going to demand higher wages and we're seeing higher like wage inflation in, in the US as well. So that's where it gets a bit sticky. Um, and obviously the predicament that where people are most concerned, or I should say the central banks are most concerned, is that, that wage and price, you know, spiral, mm. which we often learn about in economics. Yeah, but but you know that happened when when, when you weren't even born. You you, you read about. <laughs> I was born. Um, are we talking about the the recession we had to have? <laughs> I, uh, I'm going back to stagflation of the seventies. Right of the seventies. Okay, I wasn't born. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and 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 the point I would make maybe maybe because I used to be a, an econ economics teacher then and then lecturer that in the seventies um, unions and companies had a lot more pricing power so and those companies are often overprotected by tariffs and protection and things like that this is why i don't buy the stagflation story i just don't think i think uh why laborers might have short-term pricing power for wages because we haven't got five hundred thousand foreign workers here but once we get immigration i don't think that wage inflation is going to be there for a long time and i think even your 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 fearless leader, Chris, has, has argued that at times as well, hasn't he? Yeah, look, I, I think the Australia is in a slightly different predicament to the okay. US because obviously our borders have been closed as we've spoken about. Um, but, you know, we are welcoming, you know, skilled migration as soon as next week, um, obviously, you know, at the time of recording. Um, and, and so, yeah, for us, um, the predicament that Australia is is in is a bit different to the US, whereas the US haven't really had closed borders as such. So what we're, we're seeing in the form of, you know, um, price data there is, is slightly different and also wage inflation data. Okay. But, but also uh, in the case of the US, um, vaccination rates in lots of states is pretty, pretty bad, isn't it? And are we seeing that there's a shortage of workers in those states or is it right across the country? 
Yingye, or, or is this a, a question I shouldn't have asked you? Well, to, to be honest, I haven't looked at the broad sort of breakdown across the states in the US, but I sort of expect, um, and I need to sort of check the data on this before I can make a reasonable sort of assumption, yeah. um, but I would assume that uh, broad-based inflation pressures are intensifying across the US. Um, if you look at the, the diffusion sort of indices um, across CPI, um, yeah, they are intense and they are broad-based as well. But as for the geographic sort of um, locality and that diffusion there, I'm not too sure. Okay, let's go to the next one. You, you made the point by at least the middle of the year, you expect the Yanks to start raising interest rates. Will yes. pressure on our central bank to raise interest rates? Or do you think Phil, Dr. Phil Lowe will say, well, let's, let's have a lower dollar. Let's not change rates and, and benefit from a lower dollar. What do you reckon he's going to do? Yeah, really good question. Um, I, I think just with Lowe, with Governor Lowe, I think he is definitely much more on the stubborn side. Um, and I, I think there is less of an urgency for him to, to hike rates um, versus the US. We've heard it in the sort of recent sort of rhetoric. So yes, like, you know, we, we believe that, that at some point they will be tapering back on their QE purchases, but they definitely will be behind the curve with respect to, you know, hiking rates versus say the Fed. Um, and also, as we've just spoken about, they want to see what the impact of, you know, reopening borders will be on Australia and the impacts on, you know, wage inflation pressures here. So I think there's going to be a bit of lag at least, um, you know, versus, you know, what, what we sort of witness here and versus, you know, how things will play out in the US. Okay. I don't think I've ever tormented you over the Australian dollar, um, mm. but but it, it must be relevant to you because you guys do invest overseas and you have to work out whether you want to hedge or not hedge or what. We hedge everything. We hedge yeah. everything. So therefore the currency is... Where do you, what no do you currency think? risk. Yeah, so what do you think will happen to the Australian dollar over 2022? Higher or lower? Yeah, look, so, I mean, in my past life, I did work in FX markets, actually, um, and in macro, and there are so many different sort of factors that will drive it. I mean, one of the biggest drivers, you know, um, FX 101 is the relative interest rates, right? So if you expect that one central bank is hiking while the other stays on hold, then you expect that the currency of the one that is hiking to appreciate in value versus the other. And if we have a situation where the Fed is hiking and, you know, the RBA is on hold, then what we could see is that, you know, um, a broad-based dollar rally which means Aussie dollar lower. However, we need to sort of also examine um, what the other drivers of, you know, Australian, of the Australian dollar is. Um, and so firstly, commodity prices, if iron ore continues to be strong, commodity prices strong, um, Australia and the Aussie dollar being a commodity currency should appreciate in value. Obviously, we need to offset against that US dollar strength. At the same time, you know, people often think about Aussie dollar as being a risk currency as well. So it depends on risk appetite. So it depends on how the market is responding to, you know, those US like Fed hikes, right? Because if the equity market is acknowledging this and saying, hey, this is actually not a bad thing, they're hiking because we have, yes, inflation, but economic activity is still strong, yeah. then 
we, this is necessary, right? We don't want things to get out of control and kick the inflation can down the road. As such, um, interest rate hikes are not a bad thing. If they're not a bad thing for risk markets, then we could still see a situation where Aussie dollar still appreciates in value. But again, we need to offset that with the strength of the dollar, of the US dollar, I should say, overall. So probably I'd say, you know, net net, depending on, um, you know, depending on, you know, risk appetite at the time, should probably see a depreciation in the Aussie dollar, um, unless, you know, obviously, you know, risk markets really like it um, and we see a really good strong bounce in, you know, the Aussie dollar and commodity prices. But I think we should see broader US dollar strength against most currencies next year. Yeah. And there's another factor in there as well. Often when the US budget deficit really blows out, the greenback can fall and other currencies go up too. So, mm. so there's so many different factors, but you can yeah, great to um, share your, your thoughts with us. I appreciate that you've done it for this year. Uh, have a great Christmas. I look forward to talking to you in the new Thank year. Thank you. You too. Have a great Christmas, Peter. Well, joining us now is uh, Paul Mirren and Paul Miliotis from M Square Capital. I'm going to do a bit of a catch up on what they're seeing in the real estate market right now. We're starting to see a bit of a slowdown, uh, but prices, I, I think, are still rising. But let's just see what their crystal ball is telling them for 2022 and right now. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Anyone who watches this show caring about property want to know, What's going to happen to uh, property prices? So, so Paul, Mirren, what do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, there's been uh, some really interesting uh, economists come out just recently saying, look, we see a bit of appreciation, probably 5% in the next uh, year or so. Interest rates will go up and then we'll see a decline of 20%. Um, look, I, I've got a bit of a, a, di a different point of view. I think the fundamentals of property are pretty strong. We still have a shortage. Migration will uh, um, come in and create a high demand. So, and I, and I think that people with the expectation of thinking that property will go down, I think what we're seeing right now with more properties on the market right now and clearance rates falling, I think the appreciation might be very moderate. So it might not go up 5% and it might not, it might not go down 20%, but I think it might go down five or 10% over the next two or three years. So mm -hmm. I, I think there are still a lot of fundamentals in relation to in the market which, with, with shortage of property to keep it up a little bit higher than what people expect, even with interest rates going up a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I know when you look at the um, the charts for, say, for example, Sydney real estate, we tend to go up, then go sideways for a while, then go up again and sideways a while. Though the, though the, the fall between 2017 and 19 was much more substantial. Guys, why do you think that happened? Well, it happened because it was macro prudential authority. So it was an artificial way of actually, um, people wanted to buy property, prices could go up, but because you, banks weren't giving money to people as easily and the perception, you have to also have think about animal spirits. People are saying, well, if it's too hard to get a loan from a bank, maybe I should put off the purchasing right now. So all those combination actually resulted in the property market falling. Um, in fact, in 2017 and 18, was the only year uh, that we actually delivered more property to the market than demand as well for, for the last two, three decades. So that's another reason why you had that element. 
And, and also Bill Shorten leading the Labor Party was huh. promising to change negative gearing Yes, capital uh, capital uh, uh, gain discount rules, which I don't think we're going to see with this election coming up in 2022. Well, yes. Um, uh, now that you mention it as well, I'm not sure whether the macroprudential authority was a counter effect to the political aspect of it, but the bill shortened effect to property prices. But right. I, I, I don't see that the uh, Labor Party will be running such... Um, um, policies in relation to anti-property, let's call it that way. Exactly right. All right, so Paul Miliotis, um, what, what are you seeing out there right now which you'd like to inform my audience about? Look, we're seeing a, a big flow of capital come into our sector, um, Peter. So a lot of the investors are telling us they're liking the fact of, of what fixed income styled um, products offer. Mm -hmm. For our investors to lose money, we've said, look, in, in the 2017-18, the property price in Sydney might have dropped 10%. We're suggesting maybe a 10% decline um, in the next two years. There's a bit of caution when you're buying property, but when you're investing or taking a mortgage over property, it's a lot more defensive than um, looking at the property prices alone. So when we're lending in our, in our sector, our investors provide us um, with capital and we lend them to borrowers, they share in the interest income. For them to lose capital and lose their, their monthly returns, the property prices need to drop by about 30, 35%, which, you know, while, while it's a consideration and it is more risky than having your money in term deposits, um, we are finding that they are, that there is a flow of capital because they're loving the return um, of being paid monthly. And we're returning, what, around 7%? Yeah, on average. Uh, on average on 7%. And, and we're, we're secure, we're, we're a secured lender, so we're securing against property. Um, so there's a flow of capital, which we haven't seen the last year. I think we've, we've close to double our funds under management because the sector is being, um, it, it's a good sector to be in in a defensive, in a defensive way. So 7% so, so is, is a great return, but we, we have to emphasise it's because there is the, the risk that something strange might happen. Property prices might fall by 35%. And that would mean that anyone who borrowed from you if you wanted to get the money back to pay it to the people who lent it to you, when you come to sell their, their residential property, you might not get it. So less would come in. That's the risk that people take when they go outside of term deposits. That, right. is, that, that is definitely the risk. And that's why when, when you're investing in this sector, you need to understand exactly what you're doing. It's not horses, like, not one mortgage is the same. So you might be have you need to look at what the underlying security is. If you've got a farmland in Bundaberg and you're lending the person sixty five percent, in the in a case of a shock to sell that farmland takes you longer. Mm. Um, there's not as many people that want to buy it, so your risk of a decline of property value is higher than if you, for example, took a residential property in Mossman or somewhere within 15 yeah. k radius of the city. So when, when we're talking to investors, understanding what you're actually investing in in the mortgage space, I think is critical. The, the other thing that we're seeing a lot of flow into our sector as well, um, people are taking profits. People are taking profits in share market. People are taking profits in the property market as well. Um, and they parking money in our sector uh, because it's a medium term. So for the medium term of parking money with us, they're still getting 7% return. And then they may choose to go back in the market after 12 month period, 
um, buy stocks and buy shares and rebalance their portfolio. So we're seeing a lot of rebalancing of portfolios for uh, sophisticated investors at the moment. Yeah, and, and that's the point. You, you are talking about sophisticated investors. I've never asked this question of you guys before. If someone wanted to get out before um, you know, an appointed time, what happens? Look, there's with our, our sector, it's, it's gen, after the GFC, what they did, they put in some controls that, that doesn't allow a flow on money. So it's not an ad call investment. So you need to be careful that the, the term is adhered to. But from time to time, we might have an investor that is in a, in, in a difficult time. And then we'll do whatever we can to effectively sub out that investor with another investor. Mm. In saying that, you can't guarantee the liquidity outside that term. But in our business, we've been um, quite successful in, in you know, there, there are traumatic times in people's lives and we, we like to try to help them. But the be benefit is, is that we have mortgages that are three-month mortgages, six-month mortgages, 12-month mortgages, two-year mortgages. So if you, know, if you know that liquidity is something that you want to manage, then you, what you do, you diversify into different type of transactions, being three months to all the way two years. So you, can, you always know that you have a certain amount of money coming back to, to yourself. Another important point I'd like to um, uh, flesh out with you guys, because <clears throat> a really important underlying assumption of your business is that you know, real estate prices have to fall by 35% before you it could be a concern. But when we say that, um, say, Sydney house prices fall by 10%, some suburbs could fall by 20 25%, and others might actually rise by, by 5%. So your selection of who you lend to is critically based on what you think could happen in worst-case scenario in that suburb for that property, I guess. Look, um there's a reason why we haven't lost a dollar in, in, in our history, Peter, and the analysis behind where the property is is one aspect of what we look at. Now, while it's a very important aspect because you always rely on that security, what we've found is our other algorithms behind it are people that have borrowed before and with um, in our sector know how to get themselves out of trouble if things like a downturn of 20% happen. We've lent money during the GFC and we didn't lose money in that time too because the people were resilient. They sold property when they needed to sell property to divest. They learned, knew how to earn money to, to be able to pay their interest and they did everything they can to, to pay their mortgages. So it's more than just security, it's character of the borrower, it's um, their cash flow, it's what else can they do in the case of those black swan events that you don't know about, how, how can they make sure that their mortgages are paid so they don't have to sell? Okay, final question, this probably comes back to you, um, Paul Mirren, but Paul, you want to add something to it. So if, if, if I look at the, the forecast for 2022, and I've got Reserve Bank growing, saying the economy is growing at 5%. Mm. You've got Treasury a little bit higher, I think. Bill Evans from Westpac saying 7%. If that scenario works out, it should be a, an okay time for a business like yours. Absolutely. So look, uh, when the economy is growing that quickly, uh, the demand for money uh, for people to buy businesses to borrow to expand their operations is quite mm. good. So we, we, you know, we've seen a constant amount of um, good quality transactions all the way through. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking forward to next year. I think we'll have a, plenty of opportunity um, okay. to lend money. Absolutely. Well, last question then is what, what are the curveballs that you're watching carefully 
that could make life tough for a business like yours? Look, everyone's talking about the same thing. It's inflation, interest rates going up, and having a bit of pressure on asset prices. Now, even if that happens, the demand for money is still going to be pretty good. Investors are still going to get good returns on their money. So even though interest rates might go up, let's call it half a percent, your term deposit rate might go from 0.1 to 0.6. We're still offering 7% on average on 65% year transactions through our fund. So it's still a very attractive proposal. So the people borrowing from you must be you know, figuring they're going to do a lot better than 7% if they're effectively paying you that kind of kind of money. Well, that's yeah. one thing, Peter. The other thing is sometimes people don't have an option. They might have bought a property with a six-week settlement and then the banks will take six weeks um, to even get close to an approval. So it's it's one thing that it's they it's not just people that are developers that come to us. Yeah. It's also people that need to bridge a gap between what the banks are providing in terms of speed, in terms of understanding their situation, um, and into and that is another key factor why borrowers come to us. It's not just developers that want to to do more with their money. Sometimes there's other other needs. Yeah, great stuff, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for contributing to the program over the year. Have a great Christmas and we'll see you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Likewise. Thank you so much. And that's the program. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on Monday night. I've got a special interview with Robbie Cook of Tyro.